0: The transfer, matter of fact, let me go to the next. When Constantine moved his capital to Constantinople in 330 AD, the Pope inherited the power, prestige, and even the titles of the Roman emperors. The most significant of such titles is Pontifex Maximus, a pagan title that means bridge builder between heaven and earth. Now somebody says, Brother Paul, I thought the bridge-builder between heaven and earth, I thought Jacob's ladder was Jesus Christ. In 538 AD, the emperor Justinian issued a decree proclaiming the pope to be supreme in religious matters. And since then, 538 AD, the pope has assumed the garb of a representative of Jesus Christ on earth. So in no uncertain terms, I'm going to tell you from right now, if you need to study history, and I believe we all do, then I encourage that. I'm going to tell you in no uncertain terms right now that the beast kingdom that we are looking for in Revelation chapter 13 is none other than the papacy, which received its power and its seat and its authority from the Roman Empire. The papacy did not conquer Rome. Rome gave way to the rise of what today we call the Roman Catholic Church. Beloved, this is simple history. The Bible said that that kingdom would receive a deadly wound. Did you know that in the year 1798 there was a man by the name of Napoleon. Are we familiar with him? Yes, study history, beloved. The Bible is a perfect history book. There was a man by the name of Napoleon and his general Berthier in 1798, Google says, In 1798, upon his refusal to renounce his temporal, or civil, power, Pope Pius was taken prisoner and transported to France. He died 18 months later in Valence. His reign of over two decades is the fifth longest in papal history. In 538, Emperor Justinian gave the Pope all authority in religious matters. In 1798, the state sword of France, through Napoleon's General Berthier, brought that reign to an end in taking away her civil power. It was the most amazing thing at that time, just at the culmination of the French Revolution. Was that revolution bloody, beloved? Beloved, let me tell you something. Heads will roll. Even as they did in the French Revolution in our last days, it's imperative that we are connected with the only head that matters, that is Jesus Christ. 1798, we saw that the deadly wound is a separation of church and state. Do you know that the papacy today is the only kingdom on this planet that claims power not only in civil political matters, but also in religious matters? It is a religious political kingdom. In the book of Daniel chapter 7, Daniel told you that the fourth beast would be different from all the others. Up until that point, there was no kingdom like the papacy, beloved. But the Bible said in Revelation 13 that before Christ returns, the deadly wound that it would receive would be healed. Is that what the Bible said in Revelation chapter 13? That this beast would receive a deadly wound with a sword, but that the deadly wound would be healed? If the deadly wound is separation of church and state, then the healing of the deadly wound must be what? a reunion of church and state. Now somebody says, Brother Paul, that can't possibly happen in our generation. Somebody says, Brother Paul, I I, I see where you're going with this. You're talking about the Roman Catholic Church as though they have any interest in political matters. Somebody says, Brother Paul, I can't possibly see the Roman Pontiff, the Pope of Rome, coming to America to say anything to our politicians. Beloved, if that's what you believe, I'll tell you right here from the pulpit, we're not watching the news very carefully. Now, the Bible said, speaking of the papacy, that before Jesus Christ returns, power would be given him over all nations, all kindreds, all tongues. On the screen, where is the Pope speaking, beloved? Do you know what that symbol means? That is the symbol for the United Nations of the world. The Bible told us, I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, 1798. But his deadly wound would be healed and all the world would wander after the beast. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all nations and kindreds and tongues. Now, if this political power the representative of it is speaking before the United Nations I think God is trying to get us to understand something this evening I think God is trying to get us to see that the prophecies we've been looking for beloved could it be that we're actually living in the midst of the fulfillment right now the Bible says in Revelation 17 speaking of the same power that this power sits on seven mountains interesting fact Did you know that Rome is called the city of seven hills? Somebody says, no way, Brother Paul. There is no way that the Bible was that descriptive. Seven hills? Jesus took the time to let me know that the city he's speaking about, the kingdom that he's speaking about, is actually built on seven hills? Yes, he did. Amos chapter 3 and verse 7. Surely the Lord God will do nothing except he reveal his secret to his servants, the prophets. And I believe God has revealed his secret even this evening. Can I ask you one last question? Can I ask you one last question? If we're talking about the Bible, and we're talking about this kingdom, this beast that has a mark, and Brother Paul is standing here at the pulpit letting you know that that kingdom received its power from the Roman Empire, and the only kingdom that received power from Constantine was in fact what we call the papacy, the Roman Catholic Church, did this view originate with Brother Paul. Did this view originate with Seventh-day Adventists? Because there are many in the Christian denominations today who will tell you that's an Adventist view. There are Lutherans today who will tell you that's an Adventist view. They got that from some woman they call a prophet. You know who I'm talking about. There are Methodists today who will tell you they got that from some woman they call a prophet. It's not in the Bible. Did this view originate with Adventists? to the Lutheran, I would say, what did Martin Luther say? Martin Luther said, the Pope is, and I cannot believe otherwise, the veritable what? Antichrist. Martin Luther said, the papacy is truly the kingdom, the what, beloved? And we saw tonight that beasts in Bible prophecy represent kingdoms. Martin Luther said, the papacy is Truly the kingdom of Babylon and of the very Antichrist for who is the man of sin and the son of perdition but he who with his doctrines and laws Increases the sins and perdition of souls in the church while sitting in the church as if he were God all This the papal tyranny hath fulfilled and more than fulfilled these many centuries now. That's Martin Luther so if I were a Lutheran today I would want to go back and study from history what the Lutherans actually believe concerning Revelation chapter 13. On our screen we have a man by the name of John Calvin. He speaks for the Calvinist denomination and he said, to some we may seem slanderers and railers when we, who are we beloved? Calvinists. When we call the Roman Pontiff Antichrist. But those who think so do not realize that they are accusing the Apostle Paul of intemperate language, after whom we speak and indeed we speak from his very lips. And lest anyone object that we wickedly twist Paul's words against the Roman pontiff, I shall briefly show that these words cannot be understood otherwise than of the papacy. He said Paul does not speak of one individual, but of a but i thought that was adventist did we see from the bible tonight that a kingdom is represented by a beast in bible prophecy john calvin says paul does not speak of one individual but of a kingdom that was to be taken possession of by satan that he might set up a seat of abomination in the midst of god's temple which we see accomplished in popery now again beloved these are are these strong words these are very strong words, beloved. Let, let, let me tell you something right now. Again, this is not about people. It's about a system. My lovely wife, Sister Ashley, some of you have met her. She grew up Roman Catholic. So when I tell you, beloved, that God has his people in the Roman Catholic Church right at this very moment, it's imperative that we catch that. I don't want anyone leaving this room at war with the people. Understand we're dealing with a system. Amen? John Knox, who speaks for the Presbyterians, had this to say. Uh, In a letter to Dean John Anand, he said, As for your Roman church, as it is now corrupted and the authority thereof, wherein stands the hope of your victory? I no more doubt that this is the synagogue of Satan, and the head thereof called the Pope to be that man of sin of whom the Apostle Paul has spoken. Another man by the name of William Tyndale. Are we familiar with him? William Tyndale uh, is responsible for many of the versions of the Bibles that some of us in this room may have right now. William Tyndale said, Kings were not ordained to fight one against another or to rise against the emperor to defend the false authority of the pope. That very antichrist, beloved, they have set up that great idol, the whore of Babylon, antichrist of Rome, whom they call the pope and have conspired against all commonwealths. Coming to a close, Thomas Cartwright. Whatsoever cometh from the Pope, which is the Antichrist, cometh first from the devil. Now beloved, I want you to think about the question I asked. Are any of these men Seventh-day Adventists? This man here, Thomas Cartwright, died in 1603. Do you know that the denomination to which I belong wasn't born by name until the year 1863? There were no people that called themselves Seventh-day Adventists when these men were proclaiming this message. This is not something that originates with Adventists. It is something that originates from the Word of God. But I believe that the religion of the Bible is what every Protestant, whether you call yourself Methodist or Baptist or Seventh-day Adventist, as I call myself, we need to cling to the religion of the Bible. Beloved, there is safety nowhere else. And as we're seeing here, these are not Adventists, but they were all in agreement on the same thing. Different leaders of different denominations who today can't agree on who the Antichrist is. Can't agree on who the beast is. Beloved, is it plain? This is the last man we'll hear from tonight. Uh, And then, of course, Pastor Rob. Amen. It's a man by the name of Charles Spurgeon. Have you ever heard of Charles Spurgeon? Charles Spurgeon was a man of God. I'll tell you that right now, beloved. And this man of God said this. It is the bound duty of every Christian to pray against Antichrist. Do you agree with that statement? Praise the Lord. And as to what Antichrist is, no sane person ought to raise a question. In the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon said, if you were alive, whatever denomination you claimed to belong to, if you were alive and you said you did not know who the Antichrist was, you were somebody that was out of your mind. Because everyone at that time understood precisely what the Bible was saying in regard to that. As to what Antichrist is, no sane person ought to raise a question. If it be not the popery, in the Church of Rome and in the Church of England, there is nothing in the world that can be called by that name Antichrist. Popery anywhere, whether it be Anglican or Romish, is contrary to Christ's gospel. And it is the Antichrist, and we ought to pray against it. It should be the daily prayer of every believer that Antichrist might be hurled like a millstone into the flood and sink to rise no more. Somebody says, Brother Paul. That's strong language, is it not? Are we dealing with people? We're dealing with what? A system. Revelation chapter 14, the second angel's message. Come out of her, my people. Do we believe that God has people in Babylon today? Beloved, then we need to sound the message from the rooftops. But the last question I'll leave you with even here, What does the papacy say of itself? I don't expect anybody who grew up Roman Catholic, who has heard this message, to leave with the conclusion that Brother Paul is right, the Presbyterians are right, the Methodists are right, the Lutherans are right. Just like that. I expect you to ask the question now, what does the papacy say of itself? Is that a good question? We're on a break tomorrow night and the night after we reconvene, correct? Friday evening, we're gonna go into the Mark of the Beast, part two. And we're gonna give the Roman church uh, uh, an opportunity to speak for herself, beloved. It's one thing for you to take what I say and what all these other men say, but, but Brother Paul, you're not a Roman Catholic, you've never been, how can you speak for the Roman church? I think it would be a good opportunity to let her speak for herself, what do you say? We have to come back on Friday to hear, historically, what the church says of itself. Do you want to be there? I want to be there, too. I'm going to pause for a word of prayer right now. And I invite you to bow your heads with me. Father and our God who art in heaven, Lord, we're so thankful that you're a God who sits high, but you look so very low. And this is the reason why you see us in this generation, O God. You're seeking to prepare a people, dear God, who are in one accord, not upon what men think, but upon your word, which is truth. Father, I ask that you will cleanse us of our unrighteousness. Fill us with your spirit. Lord, we have talked about a lot tonight. Help us to digest. Help us not to be afraid to ask the questions that are in our mind. Ask, and ye shall receive. Knock, and the door will be opened. Protect us, protect our families and our loved ones, and bring us back Friday evening, Lord, to go deeper into this topic. In Jesus' name, amen. Our Father and our God who art in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege of calling you our Father. For knowing that there is someone on high who looks low, O God, that cares about his children. Lord, as we've come together tonight to hear a word from you, we're asking for the assistance of your Holy Spirit. We're asking, Father, for the attendance of your holy angels. Lord, I ask that you will cleanse us of our unrighteousness and fill us that we may look just like Jesus. Lord, I ask in a special way that you will give us wisdom and understanding tonight. Father, I believe that there is a world of Christians out there that you are trying to reach because you love them. Help us, dear God, to know that we are loved. Hide me now, I pray, in the cleft of the rock, our Savior, Jesus Christ. That He and He alone may be heard is our prayer, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Good evening, beloved. Good evening. Good evening, evening. evening. beloved. uh, Two nights ago, we began a very important study. Did we not? We began the study of a uh, a topic called the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast. Beloved, tonight we are on study number 12. Can you believe we've been together for 12 days already? Time just flies, doesn't it? When you're having fun. I say time flies when you're spending it with Jesus. Amen? Beloved, uh, I was talking with my wife, Ashley, and we were coming to the realization that we've only got one week left together. Before we know it, Sister Ashley and I will be on a plane headed back to Albany, New York. My wife, you know that when we head back, we're headed to war. My family, we know that as we've gathered here tonight, we've come for war. Are we living in a time of war? Am I talking about physical warfare or a spiritual warfare? Is there an adversary of our souls that would hinder us from hearing what we need to hear tonight? But is there a God in heaven who is able to speak, and though it was not before he spoke, when he speaks it is so? Beloved, we are under the command of the captain of heaven's host this evening. And I believe that if we pay attention, if we just listen by the grace of God, we'll find ourselves tremendously blessed. If we'll turn in our Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 3. And as we're turning there, I want to share a story with you. Revelation chapter 3. There's a story I once heard about a father and his son. And this father loved his son, by God's grace, as most fathers do, he loved his son. And his son used to love to play outside in nature. Do any of you have children like that who like to play outside in nature? And this father noticed one day that his son was playing outside by a bunch of railroad tracks. And the son is outside and he's picking up the rocks. There was a river right across the way and he's skipping the rocks. One after another and after another. And before you know it, I, I guess I should have mentioned the boy was deaf. Before you know it, the father looks up and he hears, well, it doesn't sound like choo-choo, but you understand what it sounds like, the, cha- the train. Choo-choo. And the father looks up from uh, outside of his room and he's looking at where his son is and he sees that his son is on the track skipping the rocks with his back to the train. No idea. Question. If the father loves his son, what do you suppose he must do next? Somebody said, run to the train tracks. Is that what I heard? Praise God. Would it be enough for that father to see the danger approaching his very son, his only beloved son, and to sit there from the window and, and only pray, would that be enough? No. Would it be love, would it be enough for the father to see the train about to hit his son and the father calls somebody or makes a post on Instagram about it? Is that enough? Beloved, some of us spend so much time doing things that never reach the people that God has entrusted in our sphere of influence. I'm thankful in the story, the, the son had a father that loved him. And so the father sees the train coming, and, and I can just imagine, he opens the window, he was baking a pie. You know, Sister Ashley and I had some, uh, some very good bread. I'm looking for my brother right now. We had some bread the other day, and we thank you for it. Praise the Lord. But the, the man is looking outside, he opens the window, he moves the pie, and he jumps out of the window. Didn't even waste his time putting on his shoes, Sister Ashley. And he runs down to the train tracks and he's screaming at his son. Now question, because the son is deaf, can he hear the father? So the father picks up speed. He begins to run and to run and to run and to run. And before you know it, the train is getting closer and closer. And that father who loves his son, do you know what he did? That father lunged. You you would have thought he was preparing for the Olympics, Sister Ashley. That father lunged with all of his strength, grabbed his son just in the nick of time. He got his clothes dirty. It wasn't easy. Do you suppose he sweat a little bit on that run? But beloved, love will make you do some things. Love will make you make some sacrifices. Though it is inconvenient for you, it is impossible for love to be working in you and I, for you and I to learn some of the things we're getting ready to learn tonight and to sit in silence while our neighbors, our friends, our family members, some of us, even our enemies, have no idea. Beloved, I believe that God, because he loves us, always gives us a warning. Do you know that love warns? Love always gives a warning. I told you to turn to Revelation chapter 3, amen? Revelation chapter 3, let's begin at verse 14. Now in your Bible, what color are these words? Who's speaking? Pay close attention to what Jesus has to say. The Bible says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. He says, I know thy works, that you are not cold, you are not hot, but I would that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. And knowest not that you are wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Somebody says, Brother Paul, have mercy. What color were those words in your Bible? Who was speaking? Do you suppose it feels good to hear from Jesus that a person is wretched, or miserable, poor or blind or naked, are those, are those compliments, beloved? The point that I'm trying to make is there are uncomfortable things that Jesus has to say to us from time to time because in the position of comfortability where we find ourselves, it's impossible to become what he's trying to make of us. Jesus takes no pleasure in telling a man that he's blind unless he's able to restore sight. Jesus takes no pleasure in telling a man that that he is poor unless he can restore wealth. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Follow on what Jesus says in verse 18. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that you may be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. A few nights ago, I told you that there's a difference between a butcher and a physician. Do we remember this? Jesus is not the great butcher of the word. Jesus is the great... Physician. And we spoke about the fact that both a butcher and a physician have very sharp tools. Isn't that right? The butcher cuts to kill, and the physician cuts to? All right, so we remember. The physician cuts to heal. Jesus does apply the physician's knife. He's a surgeon. There are things in our lives that Jesus desires to take away, but we have learned and we've been learning by the grace of God that whenever Jesus takes away something from you and I, he has what? Better to put in its place. Beloved, tonight we're going to talk about the mark of the beast. By show of hands, I've asked you already, I just got to make sure we're still in the same mindset. How many of you in this room want to receive the mark of the beast? No takers. Praise God. How many of you, rather than receiving the mark of the beast, want your name to remain in the Lamb's book of life? we all want to remain in the lamb's book of life. Do you remember the example that I gave? I said that on my phone I have a list of contacts. Amen. And my wife sister Ashley is one of the contacts, isn't that so? We tend to keep the names that nurture or nurture rather the relationship with us. If I haven't spoken to a man in 25 years, now I'm only 29, so Do you suppose that's a contact that is saved in my phone? Jesus wants to save your name, beloved, in his book of life. And in order to ensure that that happens, it takes time to become the friend of God. I'm thankful that though we're living at the end of time, we're privileged enough to spend every bit of time we have left getting to know Jesus. Amen? During our last study, we looked at the mark of the beast, part one. Does anybody remember what a beast symbolizes in Bible prophecy? I heard Persia. Worship? Well, that's what Satan is after. Let's hold on to that. Do you remember that Satan is after worship? Key point. Hold on to that. Now, a beast in Bible prophecy, according to Daniel chapter 11, the Bible said in verse 23 that the fourth beast would be the fourth kingdom upon the earth and so beasts in bible prophecy symbolize kingdoms so when we're talking about the mark of the beast we're talking about the mark of a and if we could identify the kingdom then we could identify its mark is it clear now during our last study two nights ago we came to the conclusion not from adventist theologists but from men such as martin luther john calvin uh, Wycliffe, all of these different men, we saw that the beast that the Bible was speaking about in Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 11, was none other than the papacy. I asked you if you knew what that word means. You said no. I said all right. None other than the Vatican. I asked you if you knew what that was. Some of you said no. I said all right. And then we made it plain by the grace of God. Amen. The Roman catholic church now before we move forward i have to ask you this question once again does god hate roman catholics you better say it with one accord beloved absolutely not are there good people in the roman catholic church tonight are there people in the roman catholic church do you suppose that are more christian than some of us even in this room beloved i stand here and upon the authority of the word of god i'll let you know even now The majority, the what? The majority of God's true people in this world have not yet found the truth as it is in Jesus. The majority of them, beloved, today are in the Roman Catholic Church. Today are in the Lutheran denomination. Today are in Methodism and in uh, Baptist denominations. They are everywhere. We are scattered, the Bible says. But Jesus said, many sheep have I that are not of this fold, them too I must bring. And when Jesus does that by his truth, the Bible promises there would be one fold, one shepherd, Jesus Christ. The key to making sure that you and I are in the right side in these last days is to make sure that you and I are sheep, not goats. To make sure that we are what? Sheep and not goats. Now I'm going somewhere. Do we remember the difference between sheep and goats? Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and they do what? Follow me. So, any Christian, whatever denomination you're in, if you are a sheep, then when you hear the voice of Jesus, you follow him. But we spoke about the goat a little bit, didn't we? And we said that the goat has two things on its head called horns. Isn't that right? What do goats do with those horns? They do what, my sister? They, but, Lord, I hear what you're saying in this Bible study, but, Lord, I know you want me to apologize to such and such, I hurt them so bad, but, that's a goat. Jesus wants to take us and bring us to a place in our relationship with him where rather than making excuses, we say, here am I, Lord, send me. It is me, it is me, oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. When we get there by the grace of God, we know that we are living not as goats, but as sheep. I want to pick up from right where we left off during the last study. Is that all right? The voices of Protestantism have spoken. Martin Luther there in the middle, William Tyndale, Thomas Cartwright, John Knox, John Calvin. Now what's interesting about these men is Martin Luther uh, technically speaks for what denomination? the Lutherans. John Calvin would speak for what denomination? Those who call themselves the Calvinists. John Knox was a Presbyterian. William Tyndale. Many of us have Bibles that are actually made. Have you ever been to Barnes and Nobles before? Or any Bible bookstore before? Beloved, we're in Bible study, but we've never been to a Bible bookstore before. Many Bibles today are actually made after William Tyndale. You have Thomas Cartwright, And one of the things that was said by John Calvin during the last study, I'm quoting him, he said to some, we may seem slanderers and railers when we call the Roman pontiff Antichrist. But those who think so do not realize that they are accusing Paul of intemperate language. After whom we speak, indeed so speak from his very lips, and lest anyone object that we wickedly twist the Apostle Paul's words against the Roman pontiff, I shall briefly show you that these cannot be understood otherwise than of the papacy. I showed you quotation after quotation, did I not? Of the various other denominations, their leadership, speaking from the 1800s, from the 1500s, and letting us know that there was a time in America's history where whatever denomination you belong to, you understood that the Roman Catholic Church, according to Bible prophecy, was this thing called Antichrist, this thing called the beast, this thing called Babylon, we discovered that this is not merely Adventist theology. But every Christian in America has a background, if we would but study, that would show us that same common ground. We call it Protestantism. What do we call it? Does anybody know what the name Protestantism means? I heard the word protest. Protest, is that a good word? When used the right way, yes it is. Protest. Lutherans, Protestants, amen? Calvinists, Protestants, amen? Adventists, I speak for them today. Protestants, amen. Question. What was the common ground? What were we protesting that made us take that name? Protestants. Do you know that the name Protestant implies that you and I, regardless of what denominational background we have tonight, we all had a common foe. And I'm telling you again, beloved, we're not talking about people. Please hear what I'm saying. We're talking about a system. What are we talking about? A system. That system was the Roman Catholic Church. The Word of God is very plain. Thou shalt not make any graven images. Thou shalt not bow down to them. And various other things. There's a whole list I could go through. I'll only name that one. There are Christians today who love the Lord with all of their hearts that are doing the opposite of what the Word of God says because they themselves have been hidden from the Word of Jesus. In yesterday's uh, study, two days ago, I'm saying yesterday, but you understand, two days ago we studied that the Roman Catholic Church emerged from the sea, a densely populated area. That same Roman Catholic Church was said to have made war with the saints for 42 months. Now, I didn't spend time with you there, but those same 42 months are spoken about seven times in the Word of God. It's called the 42 months. It's called time, time, and a dividing of time, or three and a half years. 1,000, say that with me, 260 years. Does anybody remember in what year it was, we saw it in our last study, that Emperor Justinian gave the Roman Catholic Church power in religious and civil matters? We don't remember. Did we get the notes? 538 A.D. Say that year with me. Now the Bible prophesied that the Roman Catholic Church, this power called the beast, would be at war with God's people for a period of 42 months, a period of a time, time, a dividing of time, or in other words, a period of 1,260 years. Do we remember in Revelation 13, the Bible said that this beast, this kingdom, would receive a deadly Wound. And I showed you from the Bible that the Roman Catholic Church is the only of these kingdoms that has ever claimed to be both a civil and a religious power. 538 AD, it began its dominion. But history tells us that at the culmination of the French Revolution, Napoleon's general, his name was Berthier, came into the Vatican and captured Pope Pius, demanding that the Pope relinquish his civil power, and when the Pope refused to do that, 1798, he was taken into captivity back into France where he died. And ever since 1798, the Roman Catholic Church may speak in religious things in Italy, but she had never had the same power. She had never had the same universal influence that she did before 1798. Do you know that from 538 AD to 1798 AD, when that happened by the hand of France, that is a period of 1,000, And 60 years? Now John Calvin says that the words of Paul speaking about the Antichrist cannot be understood otherwise than of the papacy. He said Paul does not speak of one individual. There are many Christians today, when they speak of the Antichrist, they're looking for some special man to show up in the future, and he must be the Antichrist himself. They have failed to see that all throughout the great controversy, Satan, while he does work through men, he works through Kingdoms. He works through what, beloved? Did we see that it was through the kingdom of pagan Rome that Satan sought to kill Jesus as a child? Did we see that it was through the kingdom of pagan Rome that Satan nailed Jesus to the cross? Was it through that same power that he was put in the tomb and the guards were put there so that he wouldn't resurrect? Did he resurrect? So then there's not a kingdom that Satan can use to keep our our Savior down. There's not a kingdom that Satan can use to win the great controversy so long as we understand on whose side we fight. John Calvin makes it very plain. He's not speaking of one individual, but of a kingdom, beloved, that was to be taken possession of by Satan, and that he might set up a seat of abomination in the midst of God's temple, which we see accomplished where? Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians. I want you to read for yourself what the Apostle Paul said. And after you've read what the Apostle Paul says, I want to give the Roman Catholic Church a chance to speak for itself. Do you suppose that is fair? You know, I believe that if a man stands up and speaks about one person but gives that person no chance to speak for themselves, that man is a bully. What do you say? We ought to give the Roman Catholic Church a chance to speak for themselves this evening. But we're going to begin with the Apostle Paul. We're going to begin with the Apostle Paul and see what he says about this Antichrist power. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Are we there? The Bible says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together, unto him, that you be not soon shaken in your mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. That day shall what? What the Apostle Paul is saying here is there is something to take place before Jesus arrives. Amen? He says that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed. The son of perdition. Verse 4, speaking of the man of sin, it says, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is what? The Apostle Paul is very clear when speaking about the Antichrist power, that Antichrist kingdom. He says that the man of sin would sit in the place of God, showing himself that he is God, that he would exalt himself above everything that is called God and everything that is worshipped. Beloved, is there any kingdom on earth today that seeks to sit in the place of God? Is there any kingdom on earth today that seeks to sit in the place of God? Somebody says you put a picture on the screen, Brother Paul, but I don't know what that means. Let's ask the Bible. In the book of Psalms, chapter 99, speaking of God, the Bible says, The Lord reigneth. Let the people tremble, because the Lord sitteth where? Where does God sit, beloved? Follow me. The Bible says that the place of God is between the cherubs. Does anybody know what that word cherubs means? It's speaking of angels. You'll study in the book of Leviticus, when God told Moses how to uh, build the Ark of the Covenant, God said that you were to build two cherubs on one and on the other end. And in the midst of the two cherubs was called the mercy seat, which is where the Shekinah glory or the presence of God was to dwell. All throughout Scripture, beloved, follow it. God is the one that sits in between those two cherubs. But the Apostle Paul said that before the coming of Jesus should come, the man of sin would be revealed to us, who sits in the place of God, showing himself that he is God. Somebody says, Brother Paul, that's only one text. I don't believe it yet. All right. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, chapter 37, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, that dwellest where? between the cherubs. Where does God dwell, beloved? Between the cherubs. Somebody says, Brother Paul, I still don't get it. That looks like a very special seat he's sitting in, but I don't see the correlation. Is that you? The Bible says, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, that dwells between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. So not only does Isaiah say that it is God that dwells between the two cherubs, but more importantly, it is the creator that dwells between the two cherubs. Who is the creator according to the Bible? We studied this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 14 says, That same word became flesh, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of God. Beloved, make no mistake, the creator of your soul is the same redeemer, Jesus Christ. So it is Christ's place to sit in between two cherubs, amen? But here we see a man, seated in a place that the Bible says he ought not. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, the Bible tells us that sin is the transgression of God's law. Sin is what? Very important definition, brothers and sisters. Because often when we talk about sin, we think about sin only as us doing something bad. Now is sin something bad? But do you know that there are many who know sin is bad, but because they don't realize sin is the breaking of God's law, they can see no reason as to why Jesus would want us to be a law-abiding citizen of his kingdom. Sin is the transgression of God's law. And so in the Bible referring to the papacy as the man of sin, it is speaking about a system, a what? A system of power that would use its influence not towards the law of God, but in breaking that very same law. Is it clear? Is it clear, beloved? Now here is the most important question of the evening. What does the papacy say of itself? Beloved, it would not be fair if I stood here at the pulpit and told you all these things that Martin Luther said, Calvin said, that Brother Paul believes, and what the Bible says, and the Apostle Paul says, if we didn't give the Roman Catholic Church an opportunity, do you suppose we ought to? Are you ready to see what is said? Beloved, listen, let me tell you something. You better be very careful what you ask for. Certain things, once you see them, guess what? You can't unsee them. Are you ready to see what the Roman Catholic Church says of herself this evening? Protestantism is spoken. Now we're going to allow the leopard-like beast to speak for itself. On our screen, we have a man by the name of Pope Boniface VIII. He lived from 1230 to 1303. Is that a long way away from 2021? Let's see what this pope had to say. Now, before I, before I even say what he said, can the pope speak for Rome? Can the pope speak for the Roman Catholic Church? All right. Pope Boniface said... The Roman Pontiff or Pope judges all men, but is judged of no man. We declare, assert, define, and pronounce that to be subject to the Roman Pontiff or Pope is to every creature altogether what? Necessary for salvation. By show of hands, how many of you in this room have a close, intimate, or personal relationship with Pope Francis this evening. Then according to Pope Boniface VIII, every single one of us find ourselves in a position where we cannot receive salvation because according to him, to be subject to the Roman pontiff is to every creature, that includes us, altogether necessary for salvation. My Bible says, in the book of Acts, chapter 4, and verse 11, that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. His name is not Pope. It is Jesus. Beloved, I need us to understand these things as we're moving forward. He says, that which was spoken of Christ, that thou hast subdued all things under his feet, may well seem verified in me. I have the authority of the king of kings. He says, I am all in all and above all, so that God himself and I, the vicar of God, have but one consistory, and I am able to do almost all that God can do. What, therefore, can you make of me but God? Now, beloved, I'm not giving you my opinion on what Rome has said. I'm simply telling you what her history says of herself. Follow on. Somebody says Pope Boniface VIII died in 1303, Brother Paul. We're living in 2021. You think I'm going to believe that the Roman Catholic Church still believes that today? Off of one pope? Well, let's continue and see what the rest of the pope said, beloved. On our screen, we have a man by the name of Pope Pius X. He lived a little later on from 1835 to 1914. He said these words. The Pope is not simply the representative of Jesus Christ, but on the contrary. He is Jesus Christ himself under the veil of the flesh by show of hands. And it's all right. If you do believe that, to raise your hand, I believe Jesus can meet us right where we are. Amen? Is there anyone in this room who believes that about the Pope today? That the Pope is Jesus Christ Himself? Do you remember all throughout this series, we've been talking about having a close, intimate, and personal relationship with God in order to be saved? Do we think that's necessary? Do you think it's necessary for you to have a close, intimate, personal relationship with the Pope for you to be saved? Well, then I have news for you, beloved. You are what history would call a Protestant. You're a what? And that word protest is in there because the Protestants of their day saw the popes of Rome saying these things and these men stood up in the fear of God and declared Acts chapter 4 and verse 11 and declared Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20 and declared, I can go on and on. The point is the word of God and the word of God alone is the foundation upon which the Christian lives and dies by the grace of God. Pope Pius X continues. He says the Pope is the guardian of dogma and morals. He is the depository of those principles which render render families honest. What are those next two words? Hold on, beloved. The Pope said that Rome and the Pope is the depository of those principles which render nations great. I wonder if there was recently a president in these United States of America whose motto was make America great again. According to the Vatican, in order for that motto to come to fruition, you would have to be in contact with guess who? The Pope of Rome. Now that's a study for another day, beloved, but I'm I'm mentioning it because I want you to go back and study. Study the relationship between the various presidents and the Vatican. Study the relationship between the Vatican uh, uh, and the United States of America from Kennedy all the way down, and you will see that in 2021 something has changed, beloved. Something has happened where once a nation of Protestants who would have nothing to do with Rome because of persecution because of being burnt at the stake, fed to lions, and all these things, something has happened where that very nation welcomes that same power to speak to the legislators in our land. Something has changed, beloved. Are we living in a different generation? He says the Pope is the counselor of princes and of people. He is the head under whom no man can feel tyrannized over because he represents God himself. He is! the Father, because he unites within himself all that there is that is lovable, sacred, and divine. On our screen we have two popes now, one by the name of Pope Pius, the other by the name of Pope Leo, and I'm not saying what the Roman numerals represent, I believe that's the 11th. Sometimes you get confused with where the X is and where the I is and all these different numbers. But these men lived in the 1800s, Pope Leo VIII said these words, We hold the place of Almighty God on earth. The other pope said, You know that I am the Holy Father, the representative of God on earth, the vicar of Christ. The what? Write those words down, beloved. What do the words vicar of Christ mean? Do you want my opinion of what that means? If the Pope calls himself the vicar of Christ, who do you suppose we ought to ask what it means? The Pope. Well, the Pope says, I am the vicar of Christ, which means I am God on the earth. The title vicar of Christ according to the Roman Catholic Church, means that the person who has that title claims to be God on earth.